0: Thank you, Jesse. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. If you're not there yet, Uh, we are studying through uh, this book. We're uh, now in our fifth week of the study here in Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. Again, finishing up, Lord willing, uh, the first two chapters of our book this morning, Jonah chapter two. And if you're not exactly sure where the book of Jonah is in your copy of God's Word, uh, maybe the easiest way is to start at the book of Matthew. Maybe you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then work your way back uh, into the Old Testament, and you'll find it. Um, uh, you'll find Obadiah and then Jonah uh, if you're going forward. So uh, Jonah chapter two. And again, I encourage you to uh, bring bring a copy of God's Word, have it open there in your lap, uh, and have a Pen or pencil ready so you can just follow along and take notes. And as we study, I do just um, a couple quick things. Um, first of all, Jesse, I noticed that all three of our announcements involved food. I don't know if any of you all picked that up, but we are a church that loves to eat together. And so, because, in fact, because on Wednesday night, this Wednesday night is our potluck and prayer night, another food event. Uh, so praise the Lord for food, right? Good food. Um, but Many of us know uh, Richard and Nancy McDonald, and uh, a number of us are certainly familiar with the situation they're going through right now. It's a situation there within their home that has kind of kept them away from the church body. They want to be here with us, but situation has kept them away. But uh, we just received word this morning that their clothes dryer... Uh, the tumble dryer has stopped working. And that's kind of what they're experiencing. A clothing dryer is of great importance for what they're going through right now. And they need a clothing dryer. And so I'm presenting this to their church family because certainly within one of our basements uh, or within one of our sheds, one of us, some of us, have an old clothing dryer that we can drop off to the McDonald's and make provision to even do that this afternoon. Uh, Or maybe you would say, forget an old clothing dryer, let's just get them a new one, and you would like to go out and buy a clothing dryer for them. And so I'm encouraging you as a church body uh, for us to figure out a way that we can come alongside them and encourage them in this way and provide for them, and so if you are that person who has that clothing dryer sitting in your basement, uh, or if you're that person who says, "Man, let's go get a new one, or get one from Restore or wherever," uh, talk to me afterwards, and let's make that happen here today. And also, see these beautiful flowers. Uh, we've had some flowers popping up here uh, recently. Uh, many of you don't realize Margaret Bone. She is like a she's a like a legit florist, isn't she? I mean, these are incredible. Uh, these are in honor of. Uh, of Larry, uh, who went home to be with the Lord two years ago in March. However, uh, it's his birthday. Uh, Yesterday was uh, marked his birthday, and so these are in honor of Larry. And Margaret has just said, uh, these, of course, the longer they sit around here, they'll wilt. And so we're going to encourage you, uh, feel free to come and take a flower with you. Just take one of the roses home uh, with you. Help yourself and uh, to these flowers, all right, children? So this is like, you know, that event. You can just go and just pull one right from out of there, all right? Have fun with that. Okay, you should be by jo- to Jonah by now, right? Uh, let's go ahead and uh, follow along with me as I uh, begin reading for us here in Jonah chapter 2. Starting there in verse 1, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said... In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents, they swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah. Onto dry land. Now, sometimes uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah can sometimes be misrepresented, especially when we teach it to our children, right? We, We tend to focus on the dilemma that Jonah finds himself in as he's wading through the muck of the great fish's belly. And maybe we even, maybe at times we even romanticize. The event of Jonah, right? We kind of think, well, what a cute story, but it's really not so cute when you think about it, uh, right? Wading through the muck of, of a belly of a whale. Again, sometimes we maybe we romanticize it, Veggie Tales, you know, or we think of cartoon Jonah or being vomited and, and what that must have been like. And imagine if you had taken a trip to the beach that day and there comes this great fish and whoop, out comes Jonah. Um, so sometimes we focus on that. Understandably, though, um, I'm, with, with great reason, our attention does. We are, we are amazed by this miraculous event, this miraculous part of the story of Jonah and the great fish. But something that we tend to, I think, at times just gloss over in the book of Jonah and we forget is that Jonah is actually living. <laughs> he's, he's running from the Lord. He is living in rebellion. And again, I I think at times we we forget that, that Jonah, Jonah's heart here in this account is hardened toward God's instruction. We forget that Jonah's ears are refusing to listen uh, in obedience to God's voice. We forget that this true story shows us uh, how Jonah's love for other people only goes so far. Because you remember, the reason why he's living in disobedience is because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't like those the people of Assyria. And he doesn't want God's mercy to be extended to them. I think it's true. It's easy that if we were to summarize this season of Jonah's life that we are witnessing, and again, chapter 2, his prayer kind of gives us a little bit of a glimmer of hope, but then in the weeks to come, as we jump into chapters 3 and 4, we're just going to be sorely let down again. I think we can summarize this book with regarding Jonah's life as Jonah is living in rebellion. That one word, rebellion. Now again, over this series, we have certainly been highlighting and focusing on God's mercy, that God's mercy does Chase us down. You've heard me mention several times God's mercy is the hound dog of heaven, as it's been referred to, Uh, constantly pursuing us, even in our rebellion. Uh, We sang songs about God's grace and his mercy this morning. And so we have certainly been highlighting, and I, I do believe that God's mercy is one of the main themes of the book of Jonah. Even last week, we talked about the hope that we have when we find ourselves in distress. Right? What, what, what's the hope that we can be certain of when we find ourselves in a situation, a life situation like, like Jonah there in the belly of the whale? So, but this morning, as we meditate some more here on chapter 2, and even maybe dip back in chapter 1 a little bit, I guess uh, the hope is uh, to remind us to consider Jonah's rebellion as a warning to all of us to consider Jonah's rebellion as as a warning. The title of the sermon this morning is Reminders for the Rebellious. Reminders for the Rebellious. Now, now, maybe this morning, or maybe in the season of life, maybe you aren't considering a full-out sprint and running away from the Lord. Maybe that's not entering your mind, but maybe in your mind or in your heart, maybe there is this, you're hedging just a little bit. There is this hint in different ways of rebelling against the Lord, a rebelling against his word, rebelling against his instructions to you, even rebelling against his promises. Maybe, maybe little by little in your heart, you would say, yes, I do sense at times that I'm, that I'm inching my way in the other direction from the Lord. It's not a great leap and bound, it's not an all-out sprint, but instead it's just, uh, just a little step here and a little step there that I sense in my heart I'm running away from God. And so really the purpose of the sermon today is to remind all of us, to remind all of us to watch out, to be careful, or else we too might find ourselves... Sailing on a ship to Tarshish in the other direction from the Lord. Sailing on an ocean of desperation and hope of just getting out of God's presence, right? The hope is, uh, I guess really from this sermon this morning, is that you would be warned and that you would be reminded to continue to turn to the Lord. The big idea for this morning's sermon is this, is turn to the Lord or you'll drown in your rebellion. Turn to the Lord or you'll be or, or you'll drown in your rebellion. Maybe right now you might say, I, I, OK, again, you might admit, yes, there is part of me that seems to be rebelling or I feel the pull of rebellion or I feel the pull of disbelief. And I guess, again, be warned that we should be turning to the Lord or you'll drown in your rebellion there's this wonderful there's this incredible verse again, all of chapter two we studied it last week, and we talked about how how ten or eleven psalms are echoed here within chapter two but there's this verse in verse eight that a week or so ago, as our family, as we were sitting around the table and we were reading uh, through. This chapter together as a family. In fact, Maron uh, brought it to our attention. Verse eight. It's it's an incredible picture. Look at verse eight, and what Jonah writes. He says, "Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols. What do they do? They turn away from God's love for them. This verse." summarizes what rebellion is. As Jonah here in this verse, of, or in this chapter, if, if as he's reflecting, years down the road, as he's reflecting on this season of his life, he's reflecting on his own season of rebellion. and You almost have to wonder, like years down the road, as Jonah thinks about this season of his life, if, if he's kind of almost shaking his head and thinking, how could I be so foolish to run so fast and to run so far away from God's love for me. You see, rebellion is ultimately replacing God, believing that God can be replaced with someone or something else. Rebellion is it's the turning away from God's goodness. Rebellion is the turning away from God's presence. Uh, rebellion is the choice to prefer something else in God's place again so think about this consider this verse those who cling who hold fast who cling to worthless idols like if if God's love is over here and the idols are over here and you're holding on to this then you have what you have turned your back on the Lord you have turned your back on God's love For you, because you've chosen that rebellion. See, there's always a transaction that occurs in our rebellion. Rebellion, there's a cost to it. It's a turning away from one authority and turning toward another, right? You cannot hold on to an idol and at the same time hold on to the Lord. There's really no middle ground here. When we rebel, we are clinging to something else other than God. In our rebellion, we've made a trade off. We trade the love and goodness of God for the false promises of anything else, we trade the love and the goodness of God for the false promises of pleasure. We trade the love and the goodness of God for the false promises of of worldly happiness, or for the false promises of materialism, uh, the, for, for the false promises of some sort of comparison, or the false promises of of pursuing a career that pays well, right some, Sometimes when we turn. When we turn away from God's goodness and his love, we're turning toward these idols and we're clinging to them. And so again, this morning, with that big idea, the, the, the instruction, the overall instruction is this, is to turn to the Lord or you'll drown in your rebellion. This morning, because it's Labor Day, you're going to get four extra points because I, worked ex- I labored extra hard on this sermon. How's that this morning? So here's the first one, okay? The first reminder for us in our rebellion or the first reminder for the rebellious is this, is that we all are capable of rebelling. It's dangerous for us to get to a point to where we believe that we are above the ability to rebel. I mean, the fact that Jonah was a prophet, the fact that Jonah was called and commissioned by God to a specific task, it, it truly does. It makes this book, this account of outright rebellion all the more stunning because Jonah should have known better, shouldn't have he? It's a reminder that if a prophet, if a spokesman of God is capable of rebelling, then so are we. And now, we don't know a lot about Jonah prior to his book, to, to this book, but, but we can. There, there are some hints about Jonah's life leading up to this in the book of first kings first and second kings first samuel and also first and second kings it's it's talked about how there was a group of of like understudies of the prophets elijah and elisha and they were referred to as the sons of prophets it's this idea of, of these young men who were apprentices to elijah and elisha those great prophets that we maybe we remember there in our sunday school classes And it's likely some commentators believe that it very well could have been because of the timeline in the history and the chronology of those events that it could have been that Jonah himself may have been part of one of those schools of prophets, that he might have been in that list of the sons of prophets, those understudies of Elijah and Elisha. And so it seems that Jonah would have had training in what it's like to be a what it means to be a good prophet. He would have had the camaraderie of other, other men who desired to be spokesmen to the Lord, who had been given this gifting that God had, had called and separated for himself for these great ta- this great task. As well in the book of 2 Kings, we also get a little glimpse of Jonah prior to the book of Jonah, whereas we uncover in 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jonah actually is fulfilling his calling as as a prophet, that Jonah is being successful in that. He is calling out King Jeroboam, one of the kings of of Judah, who was an evil king. And and Jonah is following through with his task as a prophet. Now, the reason why I share these, these historical insights, potentially, of Jonah's life is to help us understand that it appears as if Jonah may have gotten off to a good start as a prophet. That he had training, that he had, had the camaraderie of, of other prophets. He would have had potentially had the, the training of, of Elijah or Elisha. As well. We see the success there of second kings of his prophetic ministry. But the reason I, I bring that up the lesson, however, for us, is that we shouldn't allow our past obedience, or our past fruitfulness in service, to be a substitute for present obedience to the Lord. Just because you grew up in a Christian home, just because you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ at an early age, maybe even in a church you at one time raised your hand and said, I want to be a missionary or I'll do whatever God calls me to do. Uh, Just because maybe you graduated from a a Bible college, maybe you're even a seminary student and you're learning all of these incredible truths of Scripture, just because you're actively involved in your church, just because other people speak very well of you and your testimony of faithfulness to the Lord, just because maybe you've memorized large portions of Scripture or people are always impressed by what your prayers sound like, none of this is a guarantee that you and I won't rebel against the Lord. None of that is a guarantee of future faithfulness. We shouldn't rest on our past success or that past experience. Now, of course, all these practices, all these things, they are helpful in our walk with the Lord, and they are beneficial. And we should praise God for for that upbringing. We should praise God for that training But we shouldn't rest on that past as a guarantee of continued faithfulness. See, somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly where, it seems that Jonah failed to evaluate his own heart. Little by little, the call of rebellion in Jonah's ears grew louder and louder, and the call of rebellion eventually drowned out the call of God. The rebellion, it played to Jonah's weakness. What was Jonah's weakness? It was, he had a, he was holding bitterness toward the Assyrian people. He hated them. He hated them so much so that he was unwilling to, to go and declare the mercy of God to them. see, the hatred and the bitterness that Jonah harbored toward the people of Nineveh, <laughs> Satan used that That weakness, that bitterness that he was harboring, that he was holding on to, Satan leveraged that in such a way to convince Jonah to turn and run as far away from the Lord as he could and to get on that boat to Tarshish. And so with that being said, we too must not think that we are incapable of such a journey away from obedience to the Lord, that we too are capable of running in the opposite direction Maybe some of you here today, you've been edging toward an outright sprint away from God's word and his promises. Maybe that has been simmering in your mind and you've been questioning, or maybe the devil has started causing you to question, did God really say See, Jonah's example serves as a reminder to all of us of the importance of continually guarding our hearts, continually evaluating our lives, continually doing what Michael and, ha, has led us in already of evaluating our lives and, and confessing our sins and coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have sinned. I am wrong in this thought. Help me, Lord. We're told in Proverbs chapter 4:23 to keep your heart, to guard your heart with all diligence. In Ephesians 4:27, we're told, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. We're also reminded in Scripture of the importance of accountability with other believers, right? Why is it important for us to gather with other believers on a Sunday morning so others can help? call that sin out in our lives. So other people can come and put an arm around us and and hold us to the truths, hold us from turning away from the goodness of God, can help us to to ungrasp those idols in which we're, we're clinging to. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter six, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So, this morning, I wonder here as we think about this first reminder to the rebellious where's your heart? Are you evaluating your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Are you being careful that you too don't fall in rebellion? The next one is this, is that running in rebellion never ends as advertised, right? Running in rebellion never ends as advertised. We don't know exactly what the ideal situation was that Jonah had in mind as he boarded the ship sailing to Tarshish, right? I wonder, what was the marketing strategy of the Tourism Council of Tarshish. <laughs> like, what were those posters? What was it so attractive about those posters there in the port of Joppa that as, as Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, he's like, uh, where should I go? Oh, Tarsus looks like a good... What did, what did he have in mind? Now, whether it's the rebellion in our thoughts, rebellion through a secret sin, rebellion in our actions and our words... Maybe it's rebellion and turning away from what we know to be true. Maybe it's, it's rebelling against God through anger and shaking your fist at him. Uh, whatever it is, what I re- want to remind you this morning is that the rebellion never ends as it's advertised to you. Right? We meditate on Jonah's prayer here as we did last week and as hopefully you've done some this week meditating on Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2, it indicates that the bon voyage that Jonah hoped for was more of a bon appetit for the fish. Now, church, I worked on that for a long time, so you better write that down. All right? Let me say it again just in case you, you want to tweet it, okay? Jonah's rebellion... Well, where, where, where was it at here? I got here someplace. Yeah, see, that's the Lord. He's playing with me, right? Jonah's rebellion is that the bon voyage Jonah hoped for was more of a bon appetit for the great fish. right? As always is the case, rebellion never ends in the way that we hope it does. Rebellion truly is a bait and switch. It really is, right? You're promised pleasure. You're promised a good time, but that pleasure eventually fades into discouragement, depression, and destruction. And you see that pattern all throughout Scripture. Think of King David when he took Bathsheba back to his palace. How did that end for him? Maybe more importantly, how did that end for Bathsheba's husband? Not very well. It ended in murder. Think of the sin of Achan there in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Maybe you're Familiar with that, As they, Joshua and the armies take take the city, they're instructed, don't take anything from it, right? Destroy it all. And Achan's like, well, here's a beautiful robe, some gold, some silver. He took it back, he hid it under his tent. How did that end for him? He's thinking, well, maybe one day I'll be able to strut around and everyone will say, wow, look, where did you get that robe? But how did that end for him? Here's how it ended. He ended up under a pile of rocks in judgment. Or consider the prodigal son of Jesus' parable, who took an early leave of absence from his father, claiming his inheritance early, setting off for a little freedom, or so he thought, or so he was convinced. And then eventually the money ran out, the friends ran away, and the son thought that he had run out of hope. Right? Time and time again, our rebellion against God, it does not end up as advertised right it's that small print of the advertisement right we've all seen those commercials haven't we right where where they advertise something really great and impressive and then there's that small print that you can't read or what about it's the medicine commercial right the pharmaceutical companies they take all the great ways that this medicine is going to somehow heal you and then in the last 5 seconds of the commercial this guy who who's like the micro machine guy if you remember him just rattles off all of these side effects and you should start to think wait a second which is worse the ailment itself or the side effects We're reminded that rebellion never ends as advertised. And I want you to understand that and to to be reminded of this. Consider the small print of rebellion is that rebellion always has consequences. There's always a price to pay in your rebellion. We're told in Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to, to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So there's very real consequences that you will affect that you will experience when you run from the Lord in rebellion. Jonah gives us an incredible picture of what these consequences are here as he describes himself being drowned, being carried underneath the waves. As well, we're reminded that others are going to be impacted by our rebellion. Right? Your rebellion is not an isolated event. Others are hurt. There's a ripple effect From our rebellion. Think about. like As you think about uh, chapter 1. As we we studied it. Think about the sailors themselves. Who Jonah gets on the boat. And because of Jonah's rebellion. God sends a storm. And the sailors themselves are caught up in the waves as well. And they're fearing for their lives. Your rebellion. Your running away from the Lord. Will impact other people. And then as well consider that God will discipline you. That God does discipline those he loves. And this is a good thing, though, isn't it? God's discipline is a good thing. God disciplines us for our good. The author of Hebrews tells us that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Boy, it doesn't, does it? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, what does it produce? Do you know the passage it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, rebellion will take us further away than we had originally planned. It always does. That's the devil's goal in rebellion is to take you further and faster away from God than you had imagined. And one day... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you turn and have a season of rebellion, one day you'll wake up and say, what am I doing here? So I wondered, have you considered the small print of your rebellion? Are you aware that rebellion is pulling a bait and switch in your heart? And it's not going to end up like you've been convinced it will. And so what should we do? We should turn to the Lord. We should turn to the Lord. We should stop clinging to the idols. Instead, we should turn back and experience the love and the goodness of God. Turn to the Lord or else you'll drown in your rebellion. The third one then is this. Be careful of what you wish for in your rebellion. Again, these are reminders to those of us who maybe are finding ourselves in a rebellious situation? That reminders to all of us to guard our hearts. This third one is that we should be careful for what we wish for in our rebellion. Our unattended and our unguarded heart has a way of convincing our minds to justify what we want. We do, we we have a way of justifying what our sinful desires demand. Right, the deep desires of your heart. The rebellious desires of your heart will convince your mind into thinking that what you want is right or that what you want you deserve, even if it's wrong. See, often after we set out on the pathway of rebellion, we will eventually look back and realize that maybe the life of obedience to God wasn't so bad after all. Maybe the grass really isn't all that green On the other side of the fence. Be careful of what you wish for in your rebellion. What was Jonah wishing for in his rebellion? Do you remember? What was Jonah's goal in running to Tarshish? Right. Yes, he didn't want to. Right. He was disobeying God's call to take to 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 warn the people of Nineveh. But look there at verse verse three of chapter one. Okay, turn turn back there. And what is Jonah Jonah's pursuit is this. Verse 3 it says, "But Jonah ran away from the Lord." Okay? And headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Why did he sail for Tarshish? What was Jonah trying to do? He was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Right? The description then, so, so this is what Jonah is hoping for. Jonah is thinking, if I head to Tarshish, then I will be, then I will be away from the presence of, lo- of the Lord. I won't have this sense that I'm living in disobedience to God. So ultimately, what Jonah is wishing for is he's wishing to get away from God's presence. Now, as I said, be careful of what you wish for. The description that Jonah uses here in his prayer of chapter 2, helps us learn that God allowed Jonah to get a little taste of what he was hoping for. It's a description of the absence of God's presence. Now let's look here in chapter 2. We see in verse 2, how does Jonah through this prayer describe his experience? He says, from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, right? Jonah, he uses the word sheol used here, which refers to the region of death, a a place of darkness, a place where the grave is. Sheol is enemy territory. Jonah is describing a near-death experience. Then in verse four, Jonah also helps us get a, a little bit of a glimpse of what God allows Jonah to experience Where Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. The picture is that of Jonah being cut off or being divorced or being driven or expelled away from God's sight. You see, what God allows Jonah to experience, God allows Jonah to get a little bit of a taste of what he's hoping. Jonah in chapter 1 says, I want to flee the presence of the Lord. And God's like, okay. I'll let you feel, you'll get a sense of what it means to be away from my presence. God allows Jonah to get an experience of that. I think it's a fearful thing for us when God actually allows us to experience the sinful desires of our heart. Right? One of the great dangers of rebellion is God allowing our sinful hearts to have what they want. Almost in a sense that God gives us a little bit extra lead on the leash. We have a dog. His name's Nico. He's a a dog. I'll just say that. And occasionally when we go on trips or different things, he's not a very good dog that you want to walk, okay? Our dog around our place kind of has free range, and so he's not used to the leash. But when we were on our trip this summer, uh, we had a leash, and we took this, we took him, I was going to say this dog, we took Nico uh, And we would take him on these these walks. But we tended to try to keep him really close. But Nico always wanted to pull hard on that leash. Do any of you have dogs that really want to pull hard on that leash? So much so that Nico's breathing sounds like we are killing him, strangling him. And so I was okay with that when other people weren't around. But when other people, we would be in crowds and Nico sounds like he's being strangled (laughs) And so what I would do is I would give Nico a little bit more leash. I would give him a little bit more lead. And Nico always messed it up. He oh, like, you give him the whole lead, and before you know it, he's wandered around trees, and he's wandered around park benches, he's getting in the way of other people, and <laughs> He, he, he messes the situation up because, God, because, because I'm, I'm giving him that extra lead where, where he's really better off just staying close to me. And it seems like sometimes in our rebellion, God does. He gives us, a little, he gives us that extra lead and he says, okay, you, you're, you're pulling hard against me. I'll give you a little bit of an experience. And ultimately, what do we do? We mess it up. God has to come and untangle the situation that we've gotten ourselves into. See, in our rebellion, the destination of our rebellion really is no different than that of Jonah's. What ultimately is our goal in our rebellion and our sin against God ultimately is to flee the presence of the Lord. Truly, that is the goal. You might say, well, my, my sin that, isn't, isn't that bad, but that's the trajectory that your sin is taking you on. See, when we turn our backs on the Lord, when we choose to set out on our own course, we're clinging to idols, we're heading away from the Lord, we're heading toward Tarshish, or anywhere away from God's presence. Even consider that first rebellion there in the Garden of Eden. What was their response? They hid from God's presence. And whether it be through pride, through lust, through shame, through guilt, ultimately our rebellious hearts are pulling against the Lord. And when we allow our rebellious hearts to take that lead and to take that space, we're going to be running in the opposite direction of God. Ultimately, though, church, our hearts are only satisfied when we're in God's presence. It's the inti- in fact, it's the intimacy of being in the presence of God that the psalmists throughout the psalms, they long for. You think of Psalm 1611 where we are told, you make known to me the path of life. And the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you and your heart are being pulled in rebellion if you find yourself being moving in the direction of finding a buying a ticket at the port of Joppa for the city of Tarshish, and you are considering running away, or even just little by little in your heart, you're sensing being pulled. I just want you you to understand this. This is a a reminder for the rebellious that we are pulling ourselves away from God's presence, and when we pull ourselves away from God's presence, we are missing out on the fullness of joy. There's nothing in this world that will give you the fullness of joy like being in God's presence. Nothing. There's no relationship. There's no substance. There's no amount of money that is worth trading the presence of God for. In fact, it was the intimacy of God's presence that Jesus prayed for there in that prayer leading up to the cross. See, God created us to be in his presence, and rebellion is the antithesis of being in his presence. See, with every step you take in rebellion, leading you away from God's presence, the next step becomes just a little bit easier to take. So Jesus, there in his prayer leading up to the cross, he is praying, Father, let them be one with you. May they be one together and have the intimacy, the same intimacy that you and I experience. May they, my followers, experience that too. So as your heart being tempted to rebel, to run away from the Lord, my encouragement is to turn to the Lord or you'll drown in your rebellion. And the final one is this, is that the way back from rebellion begins by looking to the Lord. The good news is that your entire life does not need to be defined by a season of rebellion. If Jonah indeed, as it's been considered, that Jonah, being the author of this book of Jonah, he's he's looking back on his life later down the road, and and he looks back and he's detailing this season of rebellion for us so that we can learn from this experience as well and, and glorify the mercy of God, no doubt. But I want to... I, we need to be reminded that, that our lives do not need to be defined by a simple season of rebellion. Instead, the way back from rebellion is to look to the Lord, to look to the Lord in repentance. It's a willingness to receive God's mercy and to turn back around, right? If we're clinging to the idols, what must we do to then turn? We have to turn around and face the Lord to receive his goodness to us. That we should look around to the Lord in repentance. Jonah chapter 2 verse 4 there in his prayer. What does he say? Right? He says, I have been banished from your sight. So we get this sense that Jonah is saying, I, I'm experiencing what I had hoped for to be away from the presence of God. I really don't like it now. I'm drowning in my rebellion. And what does he say? What does he do? He says, I've been banished from your sight, yet, what? Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Why did Jonah look to the temple? Why would the Israelites look to the temple? We can certainly say because God's presence was there. Right? God was present there in the holy of holies. God met. With the high priest there. And so for good reason you would want to look at the temple. But as well, Jonah is looking to the temple. Because that's where the mercy seat was located. And Jonah knew as he's drowning in his rebellion. That he needed the mercy of God. Mercy paved the way for Jonah's return. And it was his vision that set the course think about our vision, think about our line of sight, right? Our vision, our sight has a way of preceding our progress. What we're gazing upon is is the direction in which we're headed. Our vision is capable of giving us the hope that we need, even while our lives might still need to be untangled from the web of rebellion that we have woven all right, think of a child. Think of a young child who's lost in a crowd. Maybe they have wandered away from their parents' sight. And they can't, they 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 they're they're separated from the presence of their parent, and there's a crowd, and it's hard to see. And and what does the parent do? The parent is looking for the child, aren't they? And what is the child doing? They're now realizing, "Mm, I should have stayed a little closer to mom or dad. And they're now frantically looking for their parents. And if you can, think of of taking a child to the state fair and they get lost in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, the child sees mom or dad. And mom or dad sees the child and they lock eyes together. What does that do to the child? Gives the child hope even though they've not been reunited in their presence, the sight, the vision of the parents gives them hope that they too can return. So Jonah, as he's drowning in, in his rebellion, experiencing the consequences where God's severe mercy has met him there through that great fish, Jonah says, I need to look back to the temple. I need to turn to the Lord. I need to gaze on him. To have the hope that he will save me from. That he'll save me from myself. So church this morning. Reminders for the rebellious. Turn to the Lord, or you'll drown in your rebellion, and turn to him today. Each week as a church, we take time to fix our eyes on the cross, don't we? We fix our eyes, we do, we look to the cross, we turn our attention to the cross as the symbol of hope, the cross whose beams extend as an ever-reaching signpost that's calling us home, that's giving us confident hope of God's mercy that we are welcome back.